0: Welcome to the RSA Events Podcast, the home of world-changing ideas and
1: debate.
2: Hi everyone, Um, I'm Nick Gunn um, and I'm a researcher with the uh, RSA's Research and Learning Directorate um, and lead researcher um, on the work we're going to be talking about today. Um, It's a real pleasure to welcome you all to the RSA for tonight's event. Um, to coincide with the launch of our report, Make It Authentic. Um, You should have, um, I think, some QR codes. Please do download it and have a read if you haven't already. Um, A warm welcome as well to everyone who's joining us online. Um, It's great to have you with us um, and you can get involved in the conversation by posting your questions in the chat or on Twitter using the hashtag um, RSAYouth. Later in this session, um, we'll be able to put your comments to our fantastic panel, um, each of whom have played a part in making this work possible. Um, Today we've got uh, Dr Ali Boddy, um, who's senior lecturer in philanthropic studies at the University of Kent um, and who leads a major piece of uh, work into youth social action in primary schools um, as we speak. Um, We've got Lisa Seddon as well, um, who's deputy head teacher at Prescott Primary School um, in Merseyside and was one of our case study schools. Um, And then finally, we've got Holly Notker, um, who's Head of Partnerships and Impact um, with I Will Movement, um, who of course are instrumental um, in youth social action too. Um, Before that, I'll introduce you to Some of the key points from the report, Um, I realise that you might not have had time to necessarily have a look, Um, and we'll also have a chance to hear from some of the pupils um, from our case study schools too. Um, So I'm very happy to say that Lisa and Emily, wherever she is, um, they very rapidly put together some um, some videos of their pupils, so um, we'll get to hear from them and some of their projects. Um, So less than a year ago, uh, the RSA launched um, a new mission called Design for Life, uh, which aims to support people, places um, and planet to flourish. And our youth social action work really kind of predates this mission but actually active citizenship remains a key part of the RSA's ethos um, and is fundamental um, to the idea that a better world is possible um, and that it's in the hands of everyone um, in order to build it. Um, Many of us in the room will know the effects that engaging in youth social action has on young people, the positive effects the citizenship skills they develop, the knowledge they gain about their community and the wider world, and the sense of agency engaging in civic activism and get, uh, uh, kind of fosters. We also know that communities benefit from having pupils who are participating in making their local areas better places to live, campaigning on important issues, and bringing a level of creativity and enthusiasm that comes with being curious young learners. Together, this benefit to pupils and communities has been called the double benefit of youth social action. Um, the genesis of the present work um, that we've been doing in primary schools is rooted in a question um, around how participating in youth social action might also impact on teachers as well. Um, and the idea that they might experience what originally we were calling a third benefit, this is what my predecessor, Hannah Breeze, kind of was calling it a potential third benefit to, um, to, to, to teachers. Um, but I think one question is in, that I've heard a, a few times is, like, why should we care necessarily about teacher experience? And I think it's, I think it's a legitimate one, but I think um, our work has, has kind of shown that it, it is really important. Um, we know from... Previous work that we've done at the RSA, our citizens have now report that educators are the catalyst for youth social action in primary schools. They're often at the heart of doing this and driving this stuff. They're the ones who can facilitate safe spaces for pupils to be able to actually do this. Um, and without teachers, a lot of the opportunities from this stuff just wouldn't be available. And I think this is really clear in the report. Like if without without teachers driving this stuff forward, um, there wouldn't be the opportunity for, um, for pupils. Um, And I think the other important reason as well is that at the moment, teachers are on the front line of a really, really challenging situation when it comes to recruitment, retention and also well-being and satisfaction. We know that teachers are leaving the profession in droves. We know that it's really hard to recruit teachers Um, and our own teacher tap results from the survey that we ran for this report show that actually resources are short, money is short. And so offering like co-curricular stuff or extracurricular stuff like uh, the Youth Social Action encompasses is really hard. Um, it's a really, really hard, um, hard kind of uh, uh, picture out there. So when we set out to do this, um, we wanted to understand how teachers experience Youth Social Action with a view to like encouraging and enabling more educators to engage with this stuff um, and to signal to system leaders as well why this is important. Um, I think the major conclusion um, that we've had is that um, we should think of the impact of youth social action in terms of a triple benefit to pupils, to communities and to educators at the same time. It's not that each of these different parties are, are kind of affected differently actually all of the things that kind of bind them together are, are really important. The partnerships that are made, the way that they engage in community, the skills that they build and the problem solving and, and that kind of thing that Youth Social Action can foster actually kind of creeps through into, into all of these um, areas. Um, in setting up this research, um, Hannah, who started this off, um, and, then, and then me and, and kind of the education team at the RSA wanted to be able to show um, Uh, to centre school experience first and foremost, because I think it's really important we get that kind of... Um, you know, ground eye view of what's going on. So the core of the report is a series of case studies that are a product product of extensive qualitative research with both teachers and pupils. Um, and we really kind of did some deep dives with each of the with each of the teachers. We visited the schools and we found out the amazing work that they were doing and how they were doing it. Most importantly, and that's one thing that I've really wanted to be able to kind of um, to kind of shout about. I think um, in the report. Um, So by starting with educator experience and with educator expertise, teachers are the experts in this stuff, you know, we're just drawing this together, we're kind of highlighting it. We've been able to show the elements that need to be in place for youth social action to take root, and it can take root in many different forms. And I think if you see the case studies, you'll see how that varies. Um, Schools are taking their own initiative in building a learning and participatory experience that has a clear thread of social justice running through it, even in really difficult times. And we'll maybe get a little bit more into kind of some of the difficulties that that brings up, I think, in terms of the rationale for doing youth social action and and kind of how we do that with young people in quite diverse diverse neighbourhoods and communities. Um, So, as I say, we'll touch on some of these learnings in the panel, but um, I wanted to emphasise that schools are doing a lot at the moment and our case study schools, I think, are a case in point in that. often without knowing it as well, so I think the other thing as well is that use social action I think as a word, as a term, it can seem intimidating, it can seem like you've got to kind of scale immediately, you've got to do something that's really kind of impactful and really big, but it isn't a case of everything or nothing and that actually starting small is actually a legitimate way of building in this stuff, of building in participation, of building in kind of action in the community and and doing some of this um, and doing some of this stuff. Um, And the case studies highlight practice that's going on everywhere already, and I think in many cases, for many schools, it might be a case of just kind of realising actually what are we doing already that we can potentially kind of shout about. I'll nearly, I'll shut up in a minute and, um, and we'll, we'll hear from some pupils, but I also just wanted to talk a little bit, because, so Lisa, who's on our panel in the middle here, um, all of our teachers were really quotable. The report was full of quotes from teachers and I wanted to make sure that their voice was like at the forefront of it, so directly quoting where possible. But something that Lisa said stuck with me and she said, she just said make it authentic at one point, um, you know, when they were doing a youth social action project. I think this was writing to an MP or something and you were kind of, or maybe, yeah. Um, and you said make it authentic, and, and for me, I think that kind of gets to the heart of a lot of this and why it's important. Because I think it's easy to say make it relevant. Like if you make it relevant for someone, it might be irrelevant for someone else. Whereas actually, where you make it authentic, you make it meaningful, whether that's in learning or kind of a participatory space. And I think that's so important um, and should be at the core of, of kind of any youth social action. Um, but I just wanted to big up essentially Lisa for um, for kind of for, for that for that title for doing a great for doing a great job. Um, so I'm gonna be quiet now. I've missed out a bunch of slides. We're just gonna skip over them. Um, oh no, actually we're not because this is actually this is Prescott. This is Prescott School. This is their most recent. Um, this is their most recent project that they're running. This is a preview. Is this happening tomorrow? This is happening all week. Happening all week. So like you're 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 privy to, to the amazing work that they're doing um, around. What is it, Lisa? Again, it's around.
1: They've given the vote this year. That's right. Illegal, yeah. Across the,
2: across the, across yeah across
1: there yeah so year three are looking at being a fin fighter so the sharks and yeah the, yeah losing their fins so yeah. that's sort of one aspect of it
2: great um and we'll hear from them in a second yeah, yeah. it's a moral to trade coral folks um yeah. cool okay um yeah again these were the eight learnings forgot about these but that's fine we can talk about them later um <laughs> and um, what we'll do now is hear I think first from St Bernard's, Um, so um, St Bernard's went to Chester Zoo is that right Emily last week Um, and to do some of the work that they've been um, yeah that that they've been doing for a few years Um, so we'll hear um, a few um, a a few bits from the pupils. So
3: we are from St Bernard's Primary School in Elshamere Port and we like to make a difference in the world. Last week we went to Chester Zoo and we were make, we were getting
2: people to make plastic pledges, making speeches about plastic and how it's affecting our beautiful wildlife. Facts about plastic, you won't
3: believe these numbers. At least 40 million tonnes of plastic end up in the ocean every year. We're feeling quite good because we're encouraging, encouraging people to stop using single-use plastic. Today we went with li- are
4: picking to try and clean up all the rubbish from the environment around our school.
2: Um, okay, so that was that's what St Bernard's have been up to. Um, so let's move over to Prescott.
5: What does it mean to be a global citizen?
3: That you're a part of you're a part of this planet, and you need to take care of all of the stuff we need to take care of, and you need to take
4: care of the wildlife especially. What does it mean to be a global citizen?
1: I just to say something because people
2: are taking the scales. Stop it! <laughs> this, this is our, our final There we go. Round of applause for some Berners and Prescott people. I think. Um, Thanks so much uh, again to Lisa and Emily for doing that uh, very much a last minute um, in very much a last minute kind of fashion. I think uh, I think you did a great job, Um, and it's nice to kind of be able to celebrate the uh, the work that they've been doing. Um, So um, yeah, we'll move we're moving over to have um, a discussion. about various aspects of the report, and hopefully we might kind of open things up and think a little bit more um, about um, kind of the wider picture, I guess, um, in education and and kind of learning and and participation um, in schools today. Um, But I think first what we'll do is maybe go through, um, uh, starting with you, Ali, and think about kind of why it's important to have this conversation today, and I guess what maybe most resonated with you um, in the report.
5: Brilliant, thank you. Well, first of all, thanks very much uh, for having me here. Um, I think in terms of what resonated the most in the report, I think it's really difficult just to pick out one thing. Um, I think there was a lot that resonates with our large-scale research that's going on across England um, at the moment, and I think there's a lot to celebrate. Um, I think we see that teachers are really positive about social action, are really positive about active citizenship, and we too see a positive reciprocal relationship between both kind of the engagement in active citizenship but also teachers' own well-being within the classroom. And we're starting to be able to see links with to this around recruitment and retention. I also think what resonated was the idea of the journey as well, and actually that all schools are at very different parts of the journey, and and I think that equally needs to be celebrated as well, even if you're at the start of that journey in terms of how we move um, forwards. And the other part, I suppose, which really resonated was how social action looks very different in very different schools and in very different contexts. And different schools across the country are facing very different challenges and actually there is not one size fits all to this conversation but I think that brings us on to kind of why this conversation is so um, important right now and for me and certainly through our research that we've seen is there's just no doubt about it we're facing unprecedented challenges at the moment and our children and young people are growing up in a really difficult and different world at the moment in terms of having to face things such as climate change, we're seeing growing levels of poverty, we're seeing huge arguments and debates around diversity, representation and identity. And actually, it brings back us back to the question of well, what is the purpose of education? And we asked a hundred teachers this question. Why do you get up every day and do what you do? Not one of them said, because we want our kids to have good SATS results. Not one of them came back with those answers. It was all about the citizenship. It was, we want our children and young people to be the best versions of themselves. And so actually, I think this conversation fits into a lot of wide debates we're having at the moment about what is the central purpose of education? And so I think it's just so important that we bring this debate to
2: the fore. Great. Um, thanks, Ali. Um, and yeah, Lisa, for you, like um, obviously you're on kind of the grounds, like you've been, yeah. you've been you're on the front line leading this kind of stuff. Um, why is it important? And kind of, yeah, you were part of the report. Like well, so that, what resonated I was just with you? to say, <laughs> yeah. for me,
1: that that was a, it was quite a personal um, yeah. j- journey for me because we were involved from the start and, and I came and met all of those other wonderful schools, if anyone's here today. But we sat around that table in December and and sort of just talked about it, really, about what all of those other schools, great schools, great activities that were going on. And it kind of made me feel um, validated, made us as a school feel more validated that we'd taken the path probably before we knew we were taking the path. Because you're right, it is quite a complex, as you said before, it's quite a complex youth social action kind of, you know, I'm sure a lot of teachers don't think that that's what they're doing when that's what they're doing. Um, but we, we, we had that discussion in December and then to see it all on paper, you know, all of those wonderful stories, just, you know, it's a very powerful document, isn't it? And I think it made me realise the sort of huge um, responsibility we've got yeah. to carry on doing it, but sharing it like on, on events that we've got today, you know, to share that message really. Yeah. So.
2: Did, did you to, just to kind of follow it? Like you said, like kind of coming to the workshop. Like for you, it was like getting stuff down on the on, kind of on the page. Like, do you have time to do that normally? Like as a teacher, like is, does that ever does that ever happen? <laughs>
1: How much time have you got? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't. And I yeah. was really lucky to be invited and to be able to you know to to be able to get out to do that. I'm, I'm part of the SLT, so in a way, we we think that's important as a school. To do that and that's important when you you're that leadership team to to place um you know to place the uh you you've got you've got it in your control to follow that path haven't you so um for us enabling me to get out to do that was something that we we would never have questioned but a lot of schools don't have that capacity, do they? So, you know, um, it was lucky that we had about, you know, eight or nine schools. Yeah. I don't know. But we were lucky on that day yeah. from all over the country to sit there with those, you know, team of professionals yeah. talking about something that was really important. I've never had a chance to do before. Yeah. Um, so it yeah. did. It illuminated. Yeah. It, it made me reflect on what we had done. Yeah. You when know, And to other people. So, yeah, it's good.
2: Great. Thank you, and yeah, Holly. I guess same to you then as well. Like, what resonated, and and why is this important? And I guess you're coming from like a kind of the partnerships, kind of I will kind of perspective um, on this.
0: Yeah, I think um, the thing that resonated with me most um, was it's perhaps I don't know. I don't know if it's like a groundbreaking kind of like finding, Hmm. but um, it was just about you know how important. Leadership is in a in a in any setting, obviously in a school setting in the report, but in any setting, mm. and um, how if you can really embed a, an ethos and a culture yeah. in in a in a in a an organisation in a school, how that can sort of seep into everything and that can sort of get into the air that you breathe every day. Mm. So that's kind of yeah, like not perhaps a you know a big surprise, but I think it was, it was really great to see that pulled out. I think. Um, even though I don't work in schools, my background is in broader community work and um, I, maybe we've all experienced where there's been a really great person who gets young people involved and gets communities involved and then they move hmm. to a different job hmm. and then it all sort of grinds to a halt and everyone goes back to the sort of hmm. the doldrums of the day-to-day. Yeah. Um, whereas where it's embedded, where it's, where it's kind of in everything that you sort of see and do, yeah. then you know, it doesn't matter whether you come and go that, is part mm, of definitely. the day-to-day conversations, whether it's a lesson plan or mm. a conversation on the side of the playground. Yeah. Mm. And I think that, for me, was it was that was a really nice sort of yeah, just that clarity about how important that is, and great that it's happening as well.
2: Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think I think that's one thing that that kind of was very clear. Like, and one of our kind of key learnings, which I quickly skipped over um, on the slides, was around like kind of how important. SLT kind of buy-in is to this to like make it work like at all of our schools It's it's like been really kind of crucial. I think to, to kind of building that that culture and, and you know I think we all know like how important like having a, an open and kind of uh, Kind of a culture where you kind of yeah can feel like you can drive this stuff forward and, and kind of have that agency is is Really is really important. So yeah, um, okay. Thank you all. Um, so uh, I think Ali, then, like just for a bit of context, you're working on kind of what is effectively, if we were to kind of able to scale up kind of this work, like you're kind of doing this like across the country, like at a much much grander scale. Um, what's the kind of wider picture look like? What's kind of can you kind of treat us to some kind of? I know you've got some part of the report out. What are some kind of early findings about like what's going on in schools today and and what challenges that they may be facing? Like what are you seeing?
5: Certainly. So we're um, just in about two years into this research. So. Um, to summarise two years research in in a couple of minutes is going to be a bit challenging Um, but so please do ask any further questions or if there's any bits that you want to know and we do also have uh, the first report that is published which you can access as well um, we were both interested in what was happening in schools so mapping across the country kind of what type of activities and we were including everything from acts of kindness to giving to charity social action community engagement advocacy activism campaigning um, and we were also both very interested in kind of how this was being framed. So we've used a kind of framework that looks at, are we teaching children within our schools to kind of act in a in a type of benevolence, i.e. We're, we, we go and we help out other people in need, but actually that's where that activity stops. And that's not decrying that activity, that's really important within our society. But also where does the angle of kind of justice come in? So actually the example we always use here is the idea of, are we teaching children to give to the food bank or are we teaching children to give to the food bank while questioning and teaching them to question why food poverty exists and what the systems and structures that sit around that. And so they were the kind of the two angles um, that we've been looking at. And one of the first kind of main findings is that most schools do some form of active citizenship engagement. Actually, it's very rare that they're not Mm -hmm. at least engaging in children in need, in comic relief or doing litter picks or something Mm -hmm. within, um, within their schools but predominantly that activity is framed within a framework of benevolence. Actually the linking to social justice and kind of that critical inquiry and critical thinking is a lot rarer. So we only found it in about a fifth of schools in our first kind of, in our first survey. What we also find, though, is there is huge inequality in terms of the access to the type of activities that children get to engage in. So actually, if you are in a deprived area or a deprived community, there's a, and we, we used um, FSM data as a proxy indicator of deprivation, if you're in the bottom quarter with FF, FSM, you are much less likely to be able to engage in things like social action projects, in campaigning and those kind of more kind of active um, engagement and you're much less likely to have that framed around the idea of justice as well so what we're turning out then is potentially we're preparing certain children from certain backgrounds for that active participation more than others so for us this is a concern so whilst i do really want to celebrate what's happening in a lot of schools i think we do have to kind of take a wider picture on this. But, the, but that isn't also to criticise any of those schools that are in those more deprived areas. Actually, those schools are on, the, on the kind of a firefighting on so many different levels that actually their time and space to be able to engage in this is a lot less. But then we also had my very clever colleague, Jack, who um, did all this wonderful quantitative analysis on 2,600 schools for us. And what we found is we couldn't actually explain all of that by deprivation, Um, we couldn't make those direct links, there was something else going on here. So what we started looking at was this idea of the civic school, so that is a school that embraces this culture of active citizenship, where that school leadership's there, where it's a whole kind of, it's embraced in the school values, in the school framework, in the approach, and also the idea of the civic teacher. And it's when we find these two things that come together that we sort of feel Like we kind of get the the magic space where this active citizenship really happens but what we've been looking at and what we're where we are in our current data analysis is looking at all the kind of inhibitors and the enablers of that activity within those spaces so actually we've even found those schools where actually the school doesn't particularly value active citizenship it's not up there it's not one of the school priorities but you've got a teacher who is really civically active and really passionate. And I think I heard a a wonderful phrase from one of the teachers talking about this. He said, they feel themselves as a quiet activist. So actually what they're doing is in their classroom, they're weaving these ideas into all of those different kind of teachable moments in the classroom, but actually they're never gonna have the same level of experience as the schools that really embrace this, this civic culture.
2: Great, um, thank you. And so I guess that's a really nice kind of view of, of kind of the bigger picture. Um, and Lisa, maybe you can give us like the the kind of the more on the ground kind of view. Like, how did you know? How did this stuff start at Prescott? And like, kind of what was what was in in kind of place to make it to make it work? Do you think?
1: Well, you've just touched on a lot of it there, haven't you? So, primary school, you know, you always join in with the big national events because the children love it, and that that was going on for a long time. And and something that that the school would, you know, value those days. But the reasons why you did that were, were fluffy, really, and the children took part and put the red nose on all the yellow bear outfit and just carried on, um, but didn't really understand what why, why there was a need, so that justice element of that. Um, but, it, but it was ongoing... I mean, it was happening, but it, that element didn't happen. And then we did go to St Bernard's in 2017 in Ellesmere Port, Um and looked at their conservation project that they'd done that year, and that was myself and the head went over, and we were just completely blown away by the, the way that the children could discuss the um, it was the singing for songbirds at the time, so um, it, it was about the conservation of the, the songbirds in Indonesia, and they they were completely passionate about it. Um, without adults showing us around you know we, we, there was no adults to be seen the children did all of the guiding and were very proud of the work and and knew exactly why they were doing it and and so on um and that very close to chester zoo as you've seen um, and and there was a real partnership there that we we took away that element of the the child it's having a real impact to how the children see their own value in that community and the fact that the songbirds were thousands of miles away in indonesia it didn't matter because you know they they knew that that just their voices were making a difference um, and, and their, their their role as educators as well so uh, we came back and thought right we've got you know we're not close to the zoo particularly but we we had our own way of doing it and so th- worked with st Berners really that year quite you know quite closely and and made that come to Prescott really, I think we even had a little bat on and did a bit of an assembly and St. Bernard's came to us and we handed a songbird over, not a real one, and and the children thought it was amazing that this had been, you know, passed on, so that I would say that was the moment when when things started to change in terms of that whole acting for change, becoming um, custodians of this planet, um, you know, the, the bigger reasons why we need to use our voices, you know and, and and let the children speak up really I think that's when when time started to shift yeah. for us
2: yeah yeah um great and I think like one of the things that I liked uh, like about Prescott and this is I think true of, of all the schools is like those connections between the schools and mm. between you know partners I guess essentially mm. like is so kind of crucial to kind of getting this this stuff going and obviously Holly you like you kind of come from it from a Like, uh, you know, from a a kind of a third party, I guess, kind of point of view, Um, like what role can can kind of organisations like I will like kind of play in like kind of helping and supporting schools to kind of potentially, you know, foster some of this, um, some of this stuff?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, so as the I will movement, we're really all about um, kind of trying to encourage youth social action to happen everywhere with every young person. Um, But it's also about communities and it's also about places. So youth social action is ultimately about making change, and and really, ultimately, we want to be addressing the, 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 the big problems in society, the inequalities, um, structurally and systemically, so um, that can't be just children and teachers and uh, parents, it can't just be on their um, laps just because they're the ones with that close proximity on a day-to-day level, and there's loads that they can can do, but there, there, there absolutely is um, a huge role. For everyone to play, I think I'd go as far as saying that. I mean, I think when we're talking about change and we're talking about youth social action leading change and young people leading change, we're also talking about power and really then we have to look at who's got the power and how is that being shared, how is that being given up? And so I think um, one of the things that we try and do at I Will is um, spotlight good people um, good examples at kind of hyper-local levels, areas and, and initiatives that wouldn't perhaps otherwise be seen beyond the postcode almost, um, and, and sort of amplify that, turn the volume up on that and try and make sure that other people are seeing that. So I guess to make sure young people from um, communities see themselves represented. Um, so I live in Great Yarmouth in Norfolk, it's a, it's a seaside town with loads of statistics that are all flashing red and everyone says how awful we are and all those sorts of things. Um, but actually when a young person that comes from a, a quite a poor and challenged seaside town sees another person from a similar um, kind of demographic doing something that's making a little bit of change and you know, how impactful that is, so that's always my reference point. Um, so yeah, our, our job is to do that, and, but it's also about kind of putting the spotlight on the organisations and institutions that work with Schools and youth organisations to really enable that um, youth social action to kind of validate it and to kind of clear the road for it a little bit as well. And so for us, a place-based approach—it's a little bit jargonistic—but that's absolutely the kind of the kind of vehicle for 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 creating change, um, with youth social action being the catalyst for those changes in in places. And I think the, the key thing there is that young people. Um, don't necessarily think in in the lanes that we do that we're kind of almost forced to when we go into the world of work, I'm in health or I'm in education. Mm -hmm. Um, They they have a much more holistic view on the world naturally. And so I think the things that they see and the things that they're able to to tell and the stories that they're able to share with us are much more likely to be intersectional and um, bring in new insights that, I don't know, the commissioners at the local health body might not necessarily have thought of before. So um, that kind of place-based approach is, is key for us around how schools can be the centre of, kind of, of, of places, and they are, but how those other institutions and organisations have to be walking alongside schools to support to make that change
2: because no one can do it on their own. Yeah. And I guess that needs, leads nicely then to, um, I, you know, I had a question around kind of like the systems that do need to be in place. Um, and we had a chat about that, didn't we? I think in the workshop, Lisa, like mm. kind of, um, and uh, Emily and, and Sean as well, um, about, about this um, last November, like, you know, what, what is missing and what needs to be there to enable kind of our young people to, to have these opportunities? Um, like, you know, what do we need to see really um, to, to kind of change? Ali, do you want to to go first? (laughs) Sorry, I'm looking at you, so it's it's you first. (laughs) Time. Time, Okay. I think
5: the biggest barrier that we see um, within schools and when we talk to teachers, as I say, 100% of the teachers we spoke to um, and through our surveys were really passionate about this activity, but time and resources were in the schools were these huge barriers. I also think that we have to think about this on kind of the, the, the wider scale as well. And I'm sorry, I feel like... We're we're listening to these wonderful celebratory stories and I'm kind of keep waving (laughs) a flag going, (laughs) "But." I Um, agree, by the way. (laughs) Um, um, But where we saw, for example, some amazing civic schools, some amazing civic leaders, how this got applied within areas is where schools are in areas of huge deprivation, and their civicness is being applied in terms of providing food banks. Their civicness is being applied in terms of applying, uh, doing warm banks for clothing banks for their local community. And this is where that active citizenship is taking place for children and young people in these, in these kind of most deprived areas. I mean, we spoke to schools who are actively fundraising so they can reduce mold and pests within the social housing that their children are living in, because that's what's inhibiting mm. their education. So actually, if we really want to talk about the systems and structures, we need to think about the communities mm. that the schools live in. This cannot all be on schools. I absolutely agree. Mm. With Holly's point, and we've seen the the systemic kind of reduction of early intervention services, community support services, mental health support, youth services have been decimated. They're all used to kind of sit around this space. So actually, if this is if we really value this stuff, then actually we need to be thinking about support services that sit around schools and around the communities. To help, engage, to help kind of enable this. But I will come back to one of Holly's points on a more positive one as well, is that we do see what we saw was a really positive relationship between when schools engaged with civil society organisations and worked in partnership, we saw really kind of positive active citizenship taking place within those schools as well. So again, those kind of
1: partnerships, I think, are really important. Mm, yeah. So- Lisa. Yeah, so I would say that, you know, the, the, the global view and what we try to teach our children is the fact that if you are a global citizen, then you, you do link um, issues that are, are going on in your community and you, you can look at them worldwide or you can look at them what's going on close by and they're getting much more um, used to seeing things that are on their doorstep now and actually, you know, that, that's a big impact for us because the things that they may have overlooked at one point in time, through doing things... You know, this is a conservation project. But if we look at things that we teach our children, involve them in th- across the year, you know, we look at rebel heroes. We it, and it's not just about that. It's actually about the view that they have of each other in school. The school community, I think, is important first. So you've got we've got four hundred and thirty children in our school, all from different families, all with you know different abilities, all with um, you know the, the different. Um, differences to celebrate Um, and we encourage them to talk about that you know we have guest speakers in our assemblies that talk about they might be asthmatic or they might have cystic fibrosis that was and the you know and you get a little year two child stood up in front of the whole talking about what medication he takes and feeling like Superman. He said he felt like Superman when he walked out. Now, they, they feel empowered, whether it's through that once a year, which is really important, but the day-to-day um, ethos, you talked about ethos, which I think is absolutely what it comes down to, isn't it? It's that um, empowerment of our children to, to realise that their voices count and that that you know they can lead the way because like you say they have a different view on on life don't they um so we're beginning to let the reins go a little bit and go yep you can do that if you want to we're here and we're here to support you but you've got to be brave to let them do that because actually you don't know what the outcome is sometimes do you so um, but I do think that they're beginning to see the injustice in the world and I, and I do think it is local and it is relevant and it is something that hopefully, you know, they might not go and be on a sharp, a shark trawler and, and maybe be at the forefront of that campaign yeah. when they're old, but they might. Um, but hopefully they will make a difference to their community because they kind of know how to do it now and, you know, they value to do it, so...
2: Holly, did you want to go uh, talk a bit more? You kind of touched upon, like, the systems that need... Like, is there is there anything else? We kind of, you know, partnership organisations, like, and, and kind of building those links is important, but, like, is there kind of wider structural stuff that you think... Um, like, is the, could the... I mean, could the government be doing more? Is there is there, like, anything, like, in... <laughs> maybe... <laughs>
3: yeah,
0: I mean, I think... I think with social change, I read something a couple of months months ago, I'm not not a massive reader, but every now and then I find something and I sort of like burrow into it. And it was all about... um, It was all about uh, complexity and how social problems exist in like this big complexity, this big mess, this big sort of bowl of spaghetti, it's kind of how I've been describing it. It made me think about... um, about social action and then reading this report made me think about social action in schools and how you know how how we how how we need to make sure that we kind of own the fact that we're operating in complexity so that we we know it's not about like you know getting some money from the government to install a big project and you know big shiny new building or some new resources and cross our fingers and hope that that's going to be the thing that changes the inequalities and, and all the other challenges that we're experiencing, because it's not. There's a million and one different contributors to a social problem, and so the, the kind of the myth, I think, that sometimes comes from uh, governments um, that we will do this, this, and this to um, level you up or whatever um, political kind of narrative is used is, I think, just a bit, you know, it's a, I think, you know, we need to own the fact that... Um, it's really, really complex and I think when, we, when we're operating in that sort of space, knowing that um, it's going to take lots and lots of different things and we won't know what they are necessarily, we'll have a good steer and a good feel and we can kind of follow our nose and young people will tell us the things that matter, but we have to be okay with the fact that we might not know what the activity is or what the outcome might be, but that nonetheless we will be inching forward. And so it's almost a probing uh, a probing and listening and trying and tripping over and trying again, mm. listening, um, experimenting, and each time learning a little bit. We might zigzag, but we will kind of, if we've got a sort of a, a general destination, then we will get there. So I think that's, that's, um, that's really important. And someone said to me the other day, I wrote it down, because it hasn't left my head, about social change. They said, what if the next big thing is actually lots of little things? And that that really kind of struck me because I was like, yes, that is... You know, sometimes in this work, you think, oh, is this work really making a difference? You have a sort of days where you sort of wobble about it. But um, that really made... That really kind of spoke to me. And I I shared it at an event that was being led by a network of schools actually in Suffolk. And two teachers um, fed back afterwards saying that that statement had really validated... Mm. their practice, because sometimes they weren't sure what they were doing in schools was, mm. was, was enough. Um, and I think one of, the, one of them shared, a, shared an experience where they had been given that autonomy in the school, their authorising environment was like, yeah, go for it, whatever you think. And in year four, I think it started out with litter picks and the things that young people were seeing and quite um, tangibly taking action on. But by continuously having those conversations, over, but By the time I got to year six, I think it was, those young people were challenging the school about um, the processes around unauthorised absences when it came to Eid and how that was being communicated mm. to parents. And so there were these unauthorised absences because the communi- communications weren't clear. Mm. And so what you had two years ago mm. was initial picking, which is brilliant. But two years on, through all of those little things, yeah. um, you actually had... Those children, um, essentially, taking, you know,
1: taking action. Yeah. Ta-
0: you know, making structural yeah. change within yeah. within that system. Um, yeah. And that was quite a kind of a goosebump moment, really, just to hear yeah.
1: hear that's that. True. Yeah, it does happen like that. I would say that in year six, that's just, that's happening right. now, and it's, right. it is. good. Yeah. It's great to yeah. see. Yeah. It doesn't make you go. <gasps> <gasps> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what we wanted. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> great. <laughs> Yeah, just because I do think this
5: kind of comes back to that argument about kind of making it authentic and Mm -hmm. certainly something we've seen through our research and previous studies that we've done directly with children as well in terms of that I think it's... Very easy for us to fall into an idea of kind of saying that there's a kind of hierarchy of action. Yes. So actually, giving to charity is at the bottom of that hierarchy, and protest yes. is potentially at the top of that hierarchy. And actually, I think it's about thinking about what the most appropriate response in a certain situation is. So, for example, the wildfires a few years ago in Australia my children were really moved by that. There was no way they were going to go out to Australia and help fight those wildfires. Their most appropriate response at that point was fundraising. And so actually that was their way of engaging in that. And I think it's really important that we kind of keep that, that actually it can be the smallest of acts or it can be the largest of acts, but it's all about supporting that journey. that school should be a place where we get to practice our, c- our civicness and we get to make mistakes as well in a really kind of safe space. And, and I think we've always seen that has been really important when I kind of talk about this conceptualization of the civic school. It kind of embraces that and embraces this as a journey. So in key stage one, using art, using literature to kind of think about some of these issues as you move into key stage two, starting to kind of put them into action in different ways. Yeah,
2: mm. great. Um, Thank you all so much. I think we've got um, maybe ten minutes for um, some questions um, uh, in the room and online. Um, would anybody in the room uh, anyone in the room got any questions at all? Yeah, the general there, and yeah, do you want to go cool. Thank
3: you. so as someone that was also an ex-teacher, an ex-school leader, and has like, my own company in regards to like, developing the cultural and social capital of students, there's often a lot of pushbacks from people outside of the whole education ecosystem. How do you like deal with that? Because I noticed, like, especially with your program, you're dealing with a lot of people from outside the school system. So how do you actually like engage them and get them to understand the importance of teaching these skills towards your students?
1: We directing that like to who would you like to, like like to answer that <laughs> one? Um, I guess all three of <laughs> you. <Yeah, yeah, yeah. laughs> so you're thinking about be, being an external, uh, somebody who wants to work with schools, is that right? It's
3: more just like, let's say you're trying to convince the parents why it's important to teach their, pa- their kids this, Yeah. but then it's just like the parents would be often just like, well, why are you spending the time teaching the children this? Should you be teaching them the, part, the stuff that's part of the curriculum? Mm. Like, how do you convince them that uh, teacher them these skills is actually just as important yeah. as teaching them the relevant hard skills I
1: understand. Yeah, office. I understand. So that, that's a bit of a slow burn, I think, really. And that's not something that's going to happen overnight. But I think for us, it's probably, well, this is our fifth conservation project. Now, they, they now see it as something that's a unique um, feature of our school year that, you know, they embrace and they, they look forward to finding out what that theme is and they t- talk to the children that, you know, they're quite proactive with that now. Um, but we, we, probably about two years ago, we, we enrolled in the Rights Respecting School Programme, which is the UNICEF programme now. That, through you know the light across everything we do in school and and what we want our children to be when they move from year six to year seven and what are what is the purpose of us as educators and that is very much rooted in the community and bringing you know educating more widely and that kind of influences everything it influences your behavior policy it influences how you know you you let that children children's voice be shown in school and I think, you know, sometimes it does bring questions from the community, but actually I think they, they see the children behaving in a different way. Well, the children do all the talking for you, really, I would say, because <laughs> um, they they are, each one is a mini success story for, you know, not being afraid to, to use their voice and challenge and, and, and I think parents take the lead from, from the children, but parents and carers and families more widely take the lead from the children, really. So, But it, doesn't, it, it, it is a culture that has grown over time, isn't it? You know, you have to work hard and, to, and work hard to explain a lot of it. Um,
5: well, well, I'd agree with you about it being a slow burn and a culture change. And I think things like the I Will campaign has really moved us forwards in terms of secondary education and adolescence, really well in that way. I would like to now shine a greater light on what's happening in primary, and to start thinking about that this this conversation applies there too. But I do think we're also seeing. So we saw I will with cross party support. We saw we've, we've now kind of seen the House of Commons launch its um, Civic Journey project. It's had cross party support. Now again. That is starting from 11 years old it's not looking at primary at the moment but i think we need to kind of bang that drum so i do think it is a slow burn but i think it is about changing those narratives i think it's about combining research and combining lived experiences and the stories and the case studies together to kind of show how uh, the, how powerful and important that this is but i do think as you say we, we always know culture change is really hard work um but the fact that we've got all of these people yeah. sitting in this room and the people online is a really good start and step in that direction as well
2: um any more questions from the room at all uh yeah let's go to... uh,
4: thanks for sharing it's really insightful uh i got like a big ready can i ask two questions like first of all like uh, actually i did a similar research on citizen education in Hong Kong, and uh, actually we have a similar trend that there's an ine- equal access to the types of activities. But that doesn't mean like the grassroots students, they don't involve in citizenship education, uh, like uh, efficacy. It's more like uh, in Hong Kong, the result shows that they are more involved in online uh, engagement. Uh, so uh, I wonder if this is similar, I mean, is observed in, in the UK, and if so, how can teachers and schools bridge the students, I mean, from the online to like a more diversified actions taking, taking place in reality. And second question is, um, actually, Hong Kong teachers are very experienced in helping schools and students to get involved in youth social actions. And in the past two years, thousands of teachers have migrated to UK, and a lot of them are into the the UK education sector already. But we find difficulties in like. Um, uh, a lot of the schools, uh, they, they still lack of such culture to, to do youth, uh, like, social actions. Uh, I wonder, like, what would be your advice for these teachers? How can they start that kind of culture from a bottom-up approach as a, as a teacher? Like, if the schools, they lack of that culture at the moment, what can teachers do to, like, you know, activate and initiate that kind of culture? Thank you. I can, I, can I start with the second question? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: this is this is about recruitment. I think as uh, you know, when I when I look at our staff um, currently, the the quality of our young staff. Um, I used to think of myself as you know, one of those. <laughs> Seems to pass very quickly. Um, they are, but th- there's a smaller pool of them. Um, so, we, we, it is about, you know, bringing that creativity, seeking creativity in our trainee teachers and making sure that we are allowed the freedoms, and that, that was the bigger, the bigger question, because, you know, we, we, we need to break free from the restraints of that curriculum or the, the threat of Ofsted or, you know, whatever it is that constrains teachers all over the country, time workload, everything else, that's putting people off coming in, we need to f- f- tackle that bit. But the, the um, sort of, I think our responsibility as a school is to bring the new teachers in, whether they be trainee teachers or as in, uh, ECTs, you know, to support those in their growth. And to do that in a school like ours is sort of to um, match what we do with the children and to, you know, value what they do. So we've got four ECTs in school at the moment and... Um, They bring something different to to the staff, um, really. Their their kind of view on the world as a 20-something, not as a um, (laughs) 50-something, is very valuable and valued by us. And it's it's supposedly, I suppose from what I hear them say, it's easier for them to make that difference. I think if you're in a school that, like you're talking about there, that is, um, you know, that top-down where there's a certain culture that's embedded that that must be very difficult i would say that we were talking before about like that single teach teacher who has that ability to make that change not by being particularly radical but by the way that they build relationships with their children in their own classroom that that can make a huge that can spread Can't it? They can make small changes on their on their own level by looking at the success of their children, and they've got to champion what they do with their children, which will be seen by SLT, and it'll be seen by families, and it'll be, you know, it'll be seen by the teacher next door, and that that kind of they've got to be brave to do that, really. Um, But I agree, it's sort of it's not an equal footing for a lot of our new teachers, is it? Um, And they, they need to be trusted to bring the. I suppose, the, the modern world in, um, because we can be a bit staid sometimes. I think there's we? something about
5: bridging research and practice a lot more as well, um, and I don't think we're always fantastic at doing that. So there is a huge um, amount of academic research out there that both says that active citizenship contributes towards attainment, it contributes towards attendance, it contributes towards positively towards behaviour. We, As we're seeing in ours, we see it contribute positively to... Um, teacher attention. So there's actually, there's an argument that we can bring in that fits within those systems and structures of schools that are maybe very much concerned about Ofsted or, or, or those other areas. But I do think there's perhaps even more work from people like me, who are doing the research on this side to kind of bring those conversations into the primary education sphere. I'll very qu- quickly comment on the um, online comment, because actually I think you've got an absolutely um, valid point there. I think there is also something, so we, we are seeing year on year at the moment, young people um, are participating less and less in our formal Um, democratic structures they're voting less they're volunteering less they're giving to charity less all of these kind of civic engagements but I also think that that comes with a huge thing of caution about the how they're engaging and that actually we formally um, define these areas and actually we miss A whole lot of other lots of activity that can be taking place, which is quite often taking place as well within those more kind of marginalised communities that we're not recognising in the same way. And so I do think we have to apply caution to that. In terms of the kind of engaging online um, in the primary sphere, I think it's less of a kind of big element than we see in kind of secondary Um, and it certainly through our research didn't come up as uh, as an area that they're they're as massively concerned about Mm. but I don't know if Holly has any more to sort of yeah on that kind of online activism yeah
0: I mean I think you know there's there's a lot of kind of negativity about you know young people on their phones all the time and you know burrowing into the sort of these online worlds but I think there's a huge amount of positive benefits as well um, that perhaps we don't always immediately see because we might not be operating in the same spaces. So, there's caution needs to be applied and there are obviously sort of spaces that aren't safe. But, you know, young people are probably older than primary, but, you know, they're not, um, they're not daft. They understand um, internet safety probably more than most of us in this room do maybe. So, um, and I think the, the power of some of the social networking um, spaces is that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you can you can see yourself represented um, beyond the people who have traditionally been representing you in perhaps, let's say, a uh, uh, youth parliament or something, um, uh, doing things that are making a positive impact on, on communities that you might not have necessarily thought about or not thought that you could do it because, you know, you don't necessarily, um, I don't know, see yourself in, in that space. So I think there's a huge thing around that digital online space being quite critical for, for representation and the things that you, um, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily see yourself doing until you saw someone that looked like you. Um, but I think there's also some really interesting social action that can happen online that, um, I think it was in a, in a research paper actually, it was a young person whose social action was challenging the trolls on a, um, on a local newspaper, <laughs> Facebook thread or whatever, and people saying, oh, it's all foreigners, or you know, really, really horrible um, things that people were trolling, and her social action was saying, well, hang on a second, um, you know, responding with facts and, um, you know, very calmly but quite clearly responding, and I love that as an example, because I think sometimes we can romanticise social action a little bit as being, going out there and being a governor or a trustee, or Um, doing something very kind of obvious and practical but actually you know those those online spaces can be pretty grim and there's there's young people out there there's people out there generally but young people too who are continually um, with with huge kind of emotional expense as well chipping away at um, at people who were, mm. you know, trying to harm others, and that, you know, I, I you know, I f- felt for her, but mm. I loved that as well.
2: Mm. Um, okay, folks, we're nearly, um, we're nearly at time. Um, thank you so much um, for the questions, and thank you uh, to everyone in the room. Um, I think a round of applause for our panelists. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, Thanks again to everyone who's joined um, both online um, and in the room. I think that was a really productive conversation. I think really interesting to get um, kind of different perspectives from all kind of coming from all angles um, in this. Um, Please do um, read the report if you haven't done um, already. Um, And if you're a fellow, um, you can continue the conversation on Circle um, and we'll be engaging. Um, Thanks again to um, uh, the I Will Pairs Fund um, for making this work possible. Um, And also just a huge thank you to um, our panel and also all of the participant schools, participant pupils um, who took part in this. Um, And yeah, um, thanks everyone and good night.
1: Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head to our YouTube channel for inspiring talks, interviews and animations.